Well, sometimes this thing doesn't like to cooperate from up here. It's, it's uh, I guess it's Murphy's Law. You, you try it out ahead of time, and then when it comes to it, are you able to flip it over, Randy? I can start and connect with that then. Um, this morning, I just wanted to reflect a little bit. Uh, uh, Titus had mentioned talk a little bit about the week that he had, and as I was um, preparing for this week, I, something came up this week and just processing uh, the things I was thinking about and what was happening in life. I was talking to um, a friend that's a bit of a mentor to me, and he just reminded me of a very basic truth about God. And I came away from that saying, wow, you know what, that is what I really needed to hear. So this morning, as we, as we study God's Word, I want to invite you to think about two things. And I'll say a little bit more about this as we go along. But often, a pastor might say, I'd like you to try to set aside the week and the things next week and think about what we're focusing on. I'm actually going to do opposite of that and say, could you think about the week that you've had and maybe what lies ahead? And hopefully it won't be distracting, but hopefully it will actually, um, I hope that God can reveal himself and his word can intersect uh, with the things that are on your mind. So um, I guess I will give you grace if you look like you're thinking and you're far away, but I'd like you to think about uh, your life and what you're facing. And that can be big things, that can be little things, it can be right in front of you, it can be right down the road, but just honestly reflect uh, on where you're at. <clears throat> the other thing I'd like you to think about is God. And God is a God of revelation. And we know him only because he chooses to reveal himself. That is who the God of the Bible is. He is a God of revelation. And so I'd like to just also, uh, before we look at specific scripture, think about this. How does God reveal himself? How has he revealed himself? And uh, this can be a bit of, of Sunday school. I might ask for some feedback at different points today. How has God chosen to reveal himself? Um, not a trick question. If you have something in mind, uh, just, just uh, say it. How has God chosen to reveal himself? And maybe you're so busy thinking about your week, you can't flip to the second question. <laughs> I'll give you one just to get started. So a very general way, God has revealed himself in nature. Uh, his attributes are clearly seen in what he has created. Anything else come to mind for you all? His word. Yes, excellent. God has revealed himself in his word very clearly. What else comes to mind? Darren is thinking about how God revealed himself in the Old Testament prior to there being a written word. Through the church? Through the church, yes. Very clearly revealed himself through the church. I'll name a few more that, um, in thinking about this, one of the ways I think God has revealed himself is even through our conscience. All people across the world have a conscience, and it is God's 
stamp of God's law written on our heart. Uh, he reveals himself in miracles and prophecy, and then revealed himself very clearly through Christ, uh, through Christ Jesus. Now, another question to think about, what has God revealed about himself? And uh, somebody mentioned that God has revealed himself in the Bible. And we could literally list things all day. Um, but what comes to mind when you think about what has God revealed about himself in the Bible? Anyone? What has God revealed about himself in the Bible? He's everlasting. He's eternal. Yeah, thank you. His character. So the nature and the character of God clearly revealed in the Bible. That he created everything. So he tells us the origin of everything and that he's the creator. Patty? He's given us grace. Yes. He cares about each one of us. Thank you. I was thinking about the names of God. One of the ways he reveals himself is the names of God. And Nate has preached, I think, a series of sermons a while back on the names of God. Depending how you want to define it, there are almost a hundred different names for God in the Bible. And it's just to explain who God is and the greatness of God. There are statements uh, such as God is love, God is light. Uh, we talked a bit about his word. And a few weeks ago, I had um, probably a couple of months ago, I had spent some time looking at how God describes his word. He gives us a lot of word pictures to understand his word and how he works uh, in our lives. So today I want to just look at two pictures, and they're not really pictures, but they kind of are. They're roles that God plays in our lives. They're, they're, God says, I am like, and it's not just that he's like that, but he actually is that to us. And there is a whole list we could look at, but I just want to look at two of the more personal and the, uh, two of the ones that God weaves throughout the whole Bible to understand how he works in our lives. So, again, if you could be thinking about your week and where you're at and the two ways that God reveals himself, and these are not going to be new, but my hope is that this is something that God can use to remind uh, you and me of who he is and how he works right where we find ourselves this week. Um, so I want to look at, again, two, two ways that God reveals himself um, in our lives. And the first one uh, that I want to talk about is that God reveals himself as a shepherd. And this is, again, throughout all of Scripture. It actually starts all the way in Genesis. Israel is on his deathbed, and he's saying, God has been my shepherd every day of my life up until right now. Um, we see it all through the Psalms that God is a shepherd, and it carries over into the New Testament. In 1 Peter, we're told multiple times that Jesus is, well, he's, he's talked about being the chief shepherd or the great shepherd, and that he is the shepherd and overseer or the guardian of our souls. So I want to look at a few scriptures that talk about God being a shepherd and what kind of a shepherd is he, and how does this truth intersect with where we find ourselves in our life today. Um, so naturally, the one that we all think of is Psalm 23, and if you would, let's read this together, um, and then we'll, we'll look at the first four verses, but let's all read this together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we're going to look at a number of scriptures, and I won't spend a long time with each one. But again, just want to think about God... God could have revealed himself as all, all kinds of things, but he revealed himself as a shepherd, and what does that mean for where I'm at? just want to notice some of the, the promises here. In verse 1, if God is our shepherd, it says that I won't want. And I think it's important to realize it doesn't mean that, there's, that there won't ever be a time that I will feel want for something, but it means that I won't actually be in lack or in need. That God knows as a shepherd what's good, and that I won't ever be lacking. So he promises that I won't be lacking, and he promises, uh, another thing I, I notice is that he restores my soul, and that if we walk with him, we're going to be led in paths of righteousness or in paths that are right when we walk with God. And in the end, in verse 4, even if he takes us in the valley of the shadow of death and that does mean the end of our life, but it also means when he leads us through into a dark area that we can't see what's ahead and that's likely dangerous, we don't have to fear any evil. Why? Why don't we have to be afraid? The, the word picture is a sheep here, and if you think about the defense mechanisms of a sheep, there really aren't any that I know of other than to run. Um, in, in reading about it. So there really aren't defense mechanisms, but he said, we're not going to be afraid because you're with me. And so as a shepherd, we have a shepherd, God never leaves us. So again, we're going to look at multiple passages, and I want us just to think through where we're at and how does God's revelation of this uh, impact where I'm at today. Let's look at Isaiah 40. And this is a passage talking about the greatness and the power and the might of God. And uh, he says, go, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So a very powerful picture of God. And then look at the next verse. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So here we have an all-powerful, mighty God who also is, is tending to his flock. And I, it's the picture of just taking good care, noticing what's happening with the sheep, making sure that we have what we need, making sure that we have food and that we're well taken care of. And then beyond that, those that that can't keep up or that are young, he actually scoops up into his arms, carries them, and then gently leads, um, leads us with very personal care. So we have a shepherd who is very personal and cares about the, the big and the little things in life. I'd also like to look at John 10, and I won't read all of these verses, but I just want to highlight some 
And here's Jesus introducing himself as the good shepherd. I want to highlight the verses that talk about what does he do as the shepherd in the life of a believer. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And one of the pictures of a shepherd is, is almost always a shepherd in the front. I, I don't have experience in working with sheep, but it doesn't look like it works very good to go along behind them and try to shoo them on ahead of you. Um, the picture is of a shepherd going on ahead, and uh, they follow his voice. Later on in the passage, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Isn't this incredible? He says, I know my own, and my own know me, in the same way that the Father and Son know each other. So we have a good shepherd that allows us to know him. He leads us, and he lays down his life for us. One last uh, verse I want to point out about the concept of God revealing himself as a shepherd is in Revelation, and this is in chapter 7. And they're looking into heaven at the people who have come through the tribulation. And I want us just to notice uh, verse, well, let's just read the pro, uh, 15 through 17. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I love the picture that in heaven, the very lamb of God who died and is our sacrifice is now actually the shepherd. And there's just multiple pictures like this in heaven where um, in another passage it says, I looked and there was a lion. And in the next phrase, it's also a lamb. So the lamb is also the shepherd in heaven. So what are the implications of having a shepherd when you think about your life, what you're going through right now, what you're going through next week? What are the implications of God's revelation that he is a shepherd to you personally. A few of the things I thought of is that I'm thankful that God is a personal God that cares in very individual and personal ways. I'm also thankful that as a shepherd uh, that God provides. If you think about sheep, they are dependent on a shepherd telling them where there's food and water, and God provides. I'm also thankful that God leads and that God protects. And often in this imagery and other imagery in the Bible, we're not alone. We are part of a flock. And so God does put us into um, bodies of believers to follow him and to grow, uh, to grow in him. So I want to just uh, invite you to reflect a little bit. What aspect of God is my shepherd do I most need to walk with him this week? So any of the aspects that I mentioned and even uh, some that I didn't, what is something that you just need God to, in a personal kind of way, reveal himself as your shepherd um, this week? As I thought of that for myself, I can be, very, can be a person who can get zoned in on the big picture and everything that needs done and, and all of this, and I just needed to be reminded, you know what, God is a shepherd. 
He is with me in the moment. He is taking care of me, and I can relax in his care, um, and that God does care about the little things, and I'm very thankful for that. All right, I'd like to look at one more picture of God, and it's interesting when we talk about a shepherd because I think we all want this, and there may be a few people who are used to working with sheep. I'm not. Um, but the next way that God reveals himself is a very personal way and in a relationship um, that, we all, that we have all experienced um, that is to point us to, uh, to himself. To introduce what this is, I want to just uh, look at um, Mary Magdalene. So right after the crucifixion of Jesus and he's buried and he rises from the dead, Mary Magdalene and some other ladies run to the tomb and it's empty and they're scared. They go get the other, a couple other disciples. They come, and they look, and they go home, and Mary Magdalene is, is still there crying and sees Jesus and thinks he's the gardener and says, you know, where have you put him? And Jesus reveals himself to her, and he makes an amazing statement to her. He says, Jesus, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And I want us just to notice this statement here. I'm ascending to my Father, and what is the next phrase? And your Father. So Jesus is saying that he's ascending to my father and your father, and this goes for Mary Magdalene and for the disciples. And I want us just to think about the concept that God reveals himself as our father. And again, this is a, a concept, um, concept that is all throughout Scripture. It comes alive a bit more in the New Testament, but it is even there uh, throughout the Old Testament. Moses, at the end of his life, described God as a father, Jeremiah describes God as a father and as a potter in the same verse. So I want to just think a bit, again, thinking about our life and where we're at. What does it mean to have a heavenly father, and how does he relate to us? Uh, I want to start off in John 1, and I uh, start reading verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So I want to be clear here that God is, God is, uh, gets referenced as everyone's father because he is their creator. And that's a concept that you'll hear in culture, even for people who are not born again and following him, that God is their father because he's their creator. In a sense, that's true. But what I'm talking about here is for those of us who have who have believed and accepted Jesus, he, through faith, we are literally born again and we have his life in us and a relationship directly with the Father. And he reveals himself as, as our Father um, positionally and relationally, if I can get that out. Let's go to Psalm 103 to find out what kind of a father that we have. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
for he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. So God is a, a God that has, um, has compassion, and the word for compassion is, is really just it's love and a holding close, that God is a Father who draws us close, and who does he show himself to be that way to? Who gets to experience God this way? He says it in the end of the verse, to those who fear him. So isn't that interesting that, that God says if we fear him, then we experience him as our loving, compassionate father. So clearly we are to, to fear God, but it's not a fear that actually drives us away from God. It's a fear that drives us to God, and then we experience God's care as our compassionate father. And I love verse 14. God knows, he knows how we're made. He knows what we're made of. So God, God clearly remembers making man, getting, and I picture God kneeling down. Why is that? But in, in Genesis, you know, forming out of dust and breathing life into us. So he remembers that. But beyond that, he knows what, what each of us are like. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows our personality. He knows everything about us. And so that he has compassion on us. He knows our talents, all the details of us. He's very compassionate. So I want to just compare a little bit to our earthly fathers because God has given each of us earthly fathers that in a room like this, we all have very different experiences with our earthly fathers. But God places earthly fathers to care for us, to direct us, and to give us an image of what, of what he is like. And they're are very few relationships on earth as powerful in shaping us as our relationship with our dad. And so I want to just talk a little bit about that um, in Ephesians 4 to compare what, what are uh, earthly fathers like compared to the heavenly father. So in Ephesians 6, uh, God is asking, well, commanding children to obey their, their parents. And then he says to dads, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and this is not the only time in Scripture that as dads we're told to not provoke our children to anger. So what, what is it about a, a dad and a father that can provoke a child to anger? And I'd like to just think about that a little bit to contrast that with our Heavenly Father, that God doesn't ever do that as our Heavenly Father. So as dads, we're clearly not to be... Um, Know, just soft or to coddle our, our children. We are to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So there's, we are to call out on our children uh, to train them for what God wants. But what does it mean to provoke a child to wrath? How does that happen? Some of the things that I think about is, is just as children, if we feel like you know, we never measure up to what dad wants, does that have the, the effect of provoking to wrath or discouragement? What about a dad that doesn't take time? Um, anybody ever feel that way as a child? Hey, my dad felt really, really busy for me. Or what about as earthly dads when we discipline out of anger rather than out of love? Or if we choose not to discipline or not keeping our word or favoring certain people or hurting us? And I'm sharing all of this just to say, to think through that our Heavenly Father does not ever do that for us. He doesn't ever hurt us in that way. And when we think about God as our father, um, we have to be honest about how our relationship with our earthly father was uh, to work through that to make sure that we have a, a true um, understanding and picture of who God is as our father. 
you think about the power of a, of a dad, even from, from little children on up, you have little girls running into a room, hey, how do I look? How does this dress look? Um, look at this picture. You've got little boys saying, check out my muscles and all of these things. We're hardwired to want to know what our dad thinks of us. All of us are. And God in his word tells us very clearly what he thinks of us as our heavenly father. Um, and when we relate to God, we can know that we're living from a basis of love and acceptance, and it's not based on what I've done, and it's not based on what I could become, but we have a God and a heavenly father who literally knows everything there is to know about us and yet chooses to love us unconditionally with compassionate love and continue to work, uh, continue to work in our hearts. So as we think about uh, how our Father relates to us, I'm very thankful for God being a Heavenly Father who knows, knows what we're made of and still works in our hearts um, to make us to become more like Him. I want to think of a few more verses of how God relates to us um, as our Father in, in a very gracious way. So this is Hebrews 12. I won't read all of it, but it's where we're, we're asked to set aside sin and to focus on Christ. So that's the first part of the verses here. I'm going to pick it up in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wearied when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So there, this is a reference back to Proverbs, and he's saying uh, that we are, a couple of ways we can respond when we're disciplined is he says to not regard it lightly. And that's kind of the idea of just not taking it seriously or kind of pushing it aside. So that's one way we can react. And the other way is uh, we can just become weary and almost want to give up. So we can, when God comes to us and corrects us, there's the tendency to, okay, I want to push it aside or just, oh, you know, woe is me and to give up. And he says we shouldn't respond that way, that God disciplines us out of love. And I want us to also notice verse 6 is a bit of a progression. The first word is the idea of discipline, and it, it really often in this passage is tied in with, with the concept of going, like going to a gym to train and work out, that God has a plan for us. He's prepping us for something, and it's for our good. So that's the first one, and, it, and there's a lot of correction there. But then if we don't respond to that, this is literally what it sounds like. The word actually is to whip, so that God does, he wants to train us, and if we don't respond, then he does, he does have to punish us or correct us to get our attention. Let's keep going in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. So we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplined, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I'm so thankful for uh, verse, verses 10 and 11. We think about, I think about myself as a dad, and our earthly dad 
we don't know the whole picture. We try our best by God's grace to, to discipline our children. Um, and so we do what seems best, but God always disciplines and directs us for our, our good. He truly knows what we need. And he is, he's training us for what he has in mind for us. And it's always for our good. And the promise is here that we will share in his holiness, that we will become like him. And then that it actually yields a, a crop or a, of, a fruit of righteousness in our hearts. So I'm very thankful that God does that for us. One more passage around this idea of God being our father. So God is a, a compassionate God who cares about us. God is a God who, father who disciplines us. And then um, just this passage speaks to the acceptance and love that we have in God. This is in Galatians 4, uh, verses 3 through 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So the language here is, is of a legal adoption. And in this culture, adoption was not only for little children and infants. It actually was even for, for people who were adults. If you wanted to adopt somebody into your family and share your inheritance, you could do that. And so that's, that's, the picture, that's one of the pictures here. And I love the progression here in, in verse 7. What does it mean to have God as our father? So we start out as a slave to sin. He redeems us back, and then we are a son. We relate to him as a father, and then we have an inheritance through God. So we progress from slave to sonship uh, to inheritance. And he sends his, his Holy Spirit into our heart, crying out, Father or Dad, um, so that we can believe that we are his, that he is our Father, and that we are accepted and loved by him. So in our hearts, his Spirit is now crying out, Abba, Father. I want to read a, a quote from, uh, from Packer in Knowing God about relating to God as Father. And... I agree with him, although I would not state it quite this strongly. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Father is the Christian name of God. Father is the Christian name of God. So I'm very thankful for God as my shepherd and as my father. So I want to just think through this a little bit. What are the implications of God being our heavenly father? In Psalm 103, it says he knows all about us and we want to be known. So God knows all about us and he loves us deeply accept us unconditionally. We're in his family and we now can relate to him and have communion with him. That God is a heavenly father that we can know and relate to. And Hebrews very clearly has the picture of God as our father training us and raising us, literally bringing us up 
into who he wants us to be in equipping us. So again, God is our father as a physician, but God is our father relationally. And, and I, one of the things I hope that you hear very clearly today is that God is, he is an active father, regardless of our age, who is actively fathering us to maturity in Christ um, right now. So God is our father, actively fathering us right now. So just want to invite you again, thinking about uh, where you're at right now, the week ahead. What aspects of God as my father do I most need to walk with him this week? Do you live in and out of the father's love for you? And do you see God as a loving heavenly father working in your life for your good? In closing, I, I will invite you, if you want to share an aspect of God as a shepherd or a father, you can. Um, but I also want to, want to spend um, a bit of time praying and just asking God to reveal himself as a shepherd and a father to meet whatever the needs are that you have in your life at this moment. Any concepts that stand out to you or are meaningful to you as thinking of God as a shepherd and a father? Thank you, Titus. Titus is thinking about God's patience and long-suffering and uh, relating some taking care of sheep and not being fond of them at all. He said they're, they're pretty dumb at times. So, Thankful for God's faithfulness and long-suffering. And I, Alexander, am I right? You all do have sheep? Okay, so we can, we can ask Alexander for some first-hand uh, knowledge of how sheep act after the service here. Ian? He has all the time. Um, and what I think just astounds me is that he can be ever so busy with you, but it doesn't take away his time for me. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Ian. God has time all the time for each person individually. That was one of the things that um, Annika has asked me about in the last about three weeks. She was thinking through praying and was like, well, you know, if she's praying, you know, can other people be praying too? And the answer is yes. And how wonderful is that? that? That God as a father is actually working and has the time for each of us that we need. All right, thank you. Uh, for thinking through this. Um, I think beyond sharing this here, 
um, I really, my prayer is that in these simple truths, somehow God uh, meets you where you're at and, and uh, you experience this from him in the coming week. Um, so I'm going to invite you to stand and I just want to pray and ask God to do that um, as we dismiss here. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for loving us. And uh, God, at the close of this service and, and at the start of a new week, um, we want to just pause and reflect. And uh, God, think about the things that, that we've been involved in, the things that we've, maybe we've worried about, um, the things that have, have went well, the things that have been stressful from the last week. And uh, God, we just we lay our hearts before you. And we thank you, Lord, that you reveal yourself as a shepherd, and you reveal yourself as a personal father. And Lord, I just pray um, that in my life, in my heart, and in, in the hearts of everyone here, God, that you would do the work of a shepherd and of a father. God, we know you're faithful to do that. Um, God, we ask that you would do that in the days ahead, in the week ahead, that we could walk with you, that we could hear your voice, could recognize how you're working. God, that we would just love you more and, and give ourselves to you and your will. God, thank you for your love, your graciousness, and who you are. Thanks that you're a good shepherd. And uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're also the lamb that makes all this possible. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.